Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I am founder of the Miller Law Group, and I'm a trainer at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is David Emerald Wormeldorf. He is creator-in-chief of the Center for Empowerment Dynamic and co-founder of the Bainbridge Leadership Center in Bainbridge Island, Washington. And David is the author of the best-selling book, The Power of Ted, which draws on his 30 years of experience in leadership development, change leadership, and employee engagement. Welcome, David Emerald Wommeldorf, to the show. It's a really a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. I'm looking forward to our conversation. And, you know, I, you know, in reading your bio, it doesn't really talk about the reason why I wanted to have you on the program. And so what I really wanted you to come on and talk about was about this idea of the dreaded drama triangle and how it works and how we're sort of sucked into it as people, right? We can't be sucked into it. So maybe we could just start there. Can you just tell the listeners what it is and how it works? Absolutely. And having gone through my own divorce journey, I can tell you that my experience and I think the experience of many people going through divorce is that the the dance of divorce, if you will, happens within what I do call the dreaded drama triangle, which builds on the work of Dr. Stephen Cartman, who developed this in the 1960s. And the, the dreaded drama triangle is made up of three roles. And the primary central role of the drama triangle is the role of victim. And I make a distinction, by the way, that I think may be important in our conversation. And that distinction is between victimization and victimhood. And victimization is something that we all experience from time to time. You know, it's stuck in traffic or, I mean, it can be on a scale of one to ten. Whereas victimhood is a way of being and a, an identity. And the work that we're going to be talking about here really stands as a challenger to victimhood while acknowledging that there are times that we do feel victimized. And divorce is one of those times that it very easily can be a sense of victimization. And in order to be a victim, one must have a persecutor. And the persecutor could be very often seen as a person, especially in the context of what we're going to be talking about here. But the persecutor also could be a health condition. It could be a natural disaster. You know, as we, as we talked, the recent earthquake in Turkey and Syria, certainly a persecuting experience for the folks in that region. And then the third role that makes up the the dreaded drama triangle is the role of rescuer. And the rescuer can come into the dynamic between the persecutor and the victim in a couple of different ways. One is either the victim who is feeling powerless, who is feeling that they can't access what they want, they go and look for a rescuer. And or a rescuer may insert themselves into the dynamic between the persecutor and the victim and either try to fix the victim, take care of them, or to 
protect them from the persecutor. And the the rescuer is often well-intended. I consider myself a recovering rescuer. I know that, that role well. But the unintended consequence very often is that it reinforces, the rescuer reinforces the the sense of powerlessness, helplessness of the victim rather than seeing them as capable and resourceful on their own. And certainly the legal profession in the traditional, I mean, love your vision and I love your mission, in the traditional approach to divorce, and I've had this experience, is that we turn to the attorneys to be the rescuer and see the other party as the persecutor and feel victimized by the process. That is so true. I, I really I really think that oftentimes people call looking for a rescuer, right? Can you stand up to my bullying spouse? Can you save me from this situation? And even years later, I got a phone call yesterday from a former client, you know, calling with uh, with a message of gratitude years, years later saying, you know, you saved me from my marriage and now I'm very happy, happily married to somebody else. And I'm like, no, I didn't do that. You did that. I was there to support mm-hmm. you along the way. And that's the difference, you know. So it's really interesting that you put it that way. But inside the, the relationship itself, you know, how does that develop that people get into the dreaded drama triangle because I know that the listeners are thinking yeah you know I know that seems familiar to me whether or not they identify themselves as being victimized or they say oh you know what so-and-so is always acting like a victim (laughs) right (laughs) a very annoying thing right (laughs) I hear that a lot well and and (laughs) I'm going to say something that may sound a little bit odd I mean as we're as we're talking specifically about the roles and the dynamics. And I know that we're going to be talking about the alternative to the dreaded drama triangle in a few minutes, but that I think it's important to emphasize that these are roles that we fall into. This is, this is not who we really are. So we are not really a victim. We are not really a persecutor. We're not really a rescuer, but we do play those roles from time to time. And I think that's an important distinction because where those roles actually come from and develop is that they actually come out of the need to develop strategies when we are much younger about how we make our way in the world. Just a couple minutes here of a little bit of underlying theory, but there was a brilliant developmental psychologist in the 1940s named Karen Horney, and she identified three primary strategies that a young child will experiment with and will gravitate toward in finding a sense of identity, feeling safe, etc. And so one of those those strategies is what she called a moving against strategy and where it's aggressive and kind of the assumption that that I've got to be on top in order to protect myself. To me that is very connected to the persecutor role. The second strategy she identified was the moving toward, which is the complying, taking care of, and that certainly is correlated in my mind to the rescuer role. And then the third strategy is what she called a moving away from, isolating, trying to get away from things that feel unsafe, and that certainly to me is related to the victim role. The reason why I'm bringing up that underlying theory is that that is part of our natural development as human beings. 
the challenge is that those roles and that way of being goes on autopilot and we just go through life reacting to what's going on around us. And we all ping pong around, if you will, those three roles. So it's not that we go through life in one of those roles, depending on what our experience is, we can, in a very dizzying way, ping pong around all three of those roles. I think what you're saying is that this happens, the deadly drama triangle happens, and we fall into one or another of these roles because of ways of being in the world that are adopted early on in our lives, and they are Mm -hmm. maybe appropriate when we're little, but if we're not careful, maybe become inappropriate, or maybe inappropriate is the wrong word, but just less effective in getting us exactly. to the place we want to be in life later yes, on. Absolutely. You, you hit the nail on the head that they serve a purpose early in life. And when they go on autopilot, they become ineffective in establishing and having, frankly, healthy relationships. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WBOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, bringing you information and thoughtful dialogue that you need to divorce with dignity. And I'm talking with Rhodes Emerald Wommeldorf about the dreaded drama triangle. And, you know, since you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, David, what the alternatives are, why don't we go to that so that people realize they're not stuck in the dreaded drama triangle? Right. I appreciate that. And the reality is that for a lot of folks, because the dreaded drama triangle is on autopilot, there can be living in kind of the assumption, if you will, that the best a day can be is a day without drama. And I'm here to say that that is not so, that we can have much more effective, much more empowering, much more, and to use some of your your language, much more re- relationships that have dignity, respect, and compassion for one another. And so what it requires to move into this alternative or what I call the antidote to the toxicity of DDT roles and relationships is what I lovingly refer to as TED. And TED stands for the empowerment dynamic. Before I share the roles that make up the empowerment dynamic, I need to speak for a moment to the notion of mindset, because the dreaded drama triangle exists in a mindset that is problem-focused, fear and anxiety-based, and reactive in nature. And so those three dreaded drama triangle roles are, are seeing one another as problems and reacting to one another. If we can shift our mindset from a focus on problems to a focus on outcomes, what it is that we care about, what it is that we really want, what's our our vision for our life, for our family, et cetera. That creates, uh, out of that mindset, we can move from the DVT roles into the empowerment dynamic. And the correlated roles in the empowerment dynamic, the basic shift is from victim to creator. And as a creator, we have the capacity to envision outcomes, We have the capacity to choose our response to what's going on in our lives and to to focus on what it is that we really want. And out of that outcome-oriented mindset and really stepping into our capacity as a creator, 
rather than reacting to the person, condition, or circumstance that we might in the drama triangle see as a persecutor, we can see them as a challenger. And challengers call forth learning and growth. And there are some challengers that come into our lives that that are conscious and constructive and challenging us. You can think of a maybe a special teacher or, you know, a grandparent or somebody who really challenged out of a, a learning intention. And there are people, conditions, circumstances that come into our lives that are unwanted, that are unwelcome. And still, from that creator perspective, we can say, okay, this doesn't feel good, but what's here for me to learn? What's here for me to, to clarify about what is really important to me? So the antidote to the role of the persecutor is the role of the challenger. And then the helping role that is in the empowerment dynamic, which is the antidote to the rescuer, is the role of coach. And in this context, I'm not necessarily talking about a professional coach. It's anyone who wants to support the person that they are supporting, but leaving the power and the choice with the person that they're supporting rather than seeing them as a problem to fix or to take care of. And so coaches use the skill of asking questions to help the create the person who is in that creator role clarify the outcomes that they want or to clarify what's going on in their current reality, things that support what they want, things that are getting in the way and the problems that need to be solved in service to those outcomes. And so they bring curiosity, but the, the real distinction here is that they see the person they're supporting as ultimately, in the long run, as capable and resourceful. And what you just shared a moment ago about the, the client who came to you or contacted you and thank, thank you for, quote, unquote, rescuing them, and your response that you didn't rescue them, that they did what they needed to do to create the outcome that they wanted. That's how I interpret the way that you approach what you're doing. Yeah, you know, as you're talking about this, I mean, it's so powerful, really, to make that small but really important shift in perspective and mindset, to use your word. And it's still, it's so hard sometimes for people. I, I observe it all the time that people just slide back into a more familiar role. Why is that, that it's mm -hmm. just so hard to make this shift? Well, there's there's some underlying psychology here, and again, I won't, won't go deeply into to theory, but as human beings, we are we get so much reinforcement, frankly, in our culture and, frankly, in many of our families that we go through our days focusing on what we don't want rather than what we do want. And so it, it is a challenge. I mean, one of the things that I can tell you from my own career and, and coaching people is that if I ask if I ask them, if I ask you, Catherine, what is it you really want? I can't tell you how many times in asking that question, it's like a deer in the headlights. It's like, well, I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. I'm, I growing up, I wasn't allowed to want what I wanted. I, I was reinforced for not doing what I was not supposed to do. And so there is a lot of conditioning that reinforces that problem focus and that reactivity to what's going on in one's life. And so it is a big, it's a, yeah, frankly, it's an upgrade of what I call the human operating system to even be able to 
clarify and answer the question of what is the outcome that I want? What is it that I really care about? For some reason, what just came to mind, and this may sound a little bit weird, but I remember a year or so ago seeing Oprah Winfrey interviewing Adele, the singer, and they were talking about the divorce that Adele went through and how her former husband and I think it's a son, her son's father, were still best friends and how they worked through the process of clarifying, now some of this is my own language, but clarifying the outcome they wanted, clarifying uh, that most important to them is to continue to co-parent in a loving, respectful uh, way with dignity, again, to use one of your words. And I was just really impressed by that. It's like, yes, it is possible to, in a sense, consciously uncouple from a marriage relationship in ways that don't have to destroy the relationship itself. Well, in a minute, I'm just going to ask you about how people who are going through a divorce can apply, Ted. But before we do that, I want to remind people that they're listening to Divorce Dialogue. I'm Catherine Miller. We're here on WBOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30. And we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with David Emerald Womeldorf about the power of TED and the empowerment dynamic. And uh, uh, David, if people are interested in learning more about it or about you, how can they do that? I think the best way would be to go to our website, which is theempowermentdynamic, all one word, .com, theempowermentdynamic.com. And you'll see what we offer to individuals, organizations, et cetera. So I would really welcome any inquiry. And we, I guess I also should add that we have a network of a little over a hundred certified trainers and coaches who know our, our frameworks quite well. So there may be some resources available to others as well. That's wonderful to know. So what about the applying these head questions? to somebody going through a divorce. What do you think about that, and, and how should people think about it? Yeah, I th so again, the, the mindset shift, seeing the process of going through divorce as a problem to react to, and as, again, and I want to acknowledge, as you said, as challenging as it is to shift to, what's the outcome that we want from this process? And to really work to see the spouse, to see your spouse as a creator in their own right, whether they act like it or not, or whether they know it or not. But rather than seeing them as either a victim or seeing them as a persecutor, but to say, let's co-create the best, healthiest, collaborative process that we possibly can. And so the, the basic question is to be able to, with some guidance, with some good coaching from a divorce attorney, to clarify what's the ideal outcome for us individually and collectively as we go through this challenging, difficult process. And what's here for me to, to learn as I go through this process is also really important. That's the seeing the divorce process itself, not as a persecutor, but as a challenger. What's here for me to learn? I know from my own experience that 
that going through divorce helped me really clarify what was important to what is important to me in relationships. What is it that I don't want to repeat as a result of this learning experience and to clarify again what I want rather than the focus being on what I don't want. My sense is that this is the, the place you're coming from is the divorce attorney rather than being a rescuer, really being a coach and at times a challenger. Uh, a challenger from, you know, a, again, a learning intent and in helping the client really learn from going through the experience. I can imagine that somebody's listening to this thinking, yeah, but that requires the other person to do their part too. And and I don't think that's true. I think one person can change that dynamic on their own. And I'm wondering if you agree with that or not. Uh, actually, I do agree with that. And, and that's the reason why I use the language. It's, uh, it's being able to see the other uh, to be able to see, if you will, the creator essence in the other person, whether they act like it or not, and whether they know it or not. And one of the parties, in order to change, to, to disrupt the pattern of the dreaded drama triangle, requires one to step out of that dance and not to collude in that dance. And I can tell you it is possible. Not saying it's easy, certainly not saying that it's simple, but it is possible to be able to to not collude in the drama. And I also can tell you from both personal experience as well as you know working in this field for for so long that if the other party is really entrenched in the roles of the drama triangle, they will consciously or unconsciously, usually unconsciously do everything they can to try to pull you back into that dance because probably that dance is what has gotten the two of you to this this place and this position and this time in the first place. So I remember a, a story which I think quickly will illustrate this where this was not a, a this is not a divorce story, but someone was sharing with us that they were watching news and their spouse said something about what was going on in the news. And this is someone who had, who was going through one of our workshops. And her husband said something that normally would have triggered a reactive response from her and pulled her into the drama triangle. And she looked at her husband and she said, pass. And kind of drawing <laughs> from what was a family feud, it was like, you, you want to pass her place? She just looked at him and said, I pass. And they ended up laughing about it, but that was her way of saying, I'm not going there. I pass. Yeah. I want to tell you that I have something that I call the conflict trap, and let me describe it to you. I usually mm, say please. to people, I have a couple of conflict conversations with my husband, but this is true with other people, where I say something, he says something, and then I have something I really want to say. I am so freaking right, David. You you would agree I was right. You know, the producer would agree I was right. All the listeners would agree I was right. You know, God himself would agree I'm right. That's how <laughs> sure I am about that. But I also know that if I say that thing, I could literally script out the next 20 or 30 minutes of our conversation, and we're both going to run walk away from it frustrated and unhappy. And so I have a choice okay. in that minute to say the thing that I'm so drawn to say, because I'm so right. Remember how right I am. But I also mm -hmm. know that I'm not going to be happy at the end of that conversation, even though I do like to be right, I have to admit. So th then I have a choice <laughs> to say something 
different, right? And to say something different, it might not work, but at least it won't be exactly what I could script out in my head. And usually when I describe this conflict trap to people, they start nodding. And if I can see them, that they go, oh, they're like, yeah, I recognize that with my partner or my parent or my child or my neighbor or whatever. It's just it's one of those things we get into that. And it feels kind of similar, very similar to what you're describing as the dreaded drama triangle. And I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm making this change, but it feels different. It, you know, I don't know it's going to work, but I'm making it myself. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about that. Well, I think uh, I am sitting here nodding. And the, that kind of interaction is rooted in the drama triangle. And the way to shift from that is to pause, make a conscious choice, and to say something different that doesn't perpetuate that dance. Yeah, and, and coming from a place of curiosity, I think, is also quite helpful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, uh, David, I, so, go ahead. Last no, few this seconds. this has been a wonderful conversation. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for being my guest, David Emerald Wormeldorf.